Believe it or not, it's not all TikTok trends where kids are doing things that make us scratch our heads and raise our eyebrows of like, what? Actually, there's a lot of amazing uh, things that are happening, innovations and creativity with our young people. And it is an absolute honor this morning to have with us Dr. Tim Elmore, who's the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that kind of helps encourage and equip emerging leaders. And we're talking about young people. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am well. I hope you guys are doing well, too. Uh, we are. And uh, you have a book out that I think is absolutely fascinating called I Can't Wait, 52 Stories of Kids uh, Who Have Changed Their World. I, I am intrigued by this, and my heart is warmed by these stories. Um, I just I love this idea. Tell us about the book and, and how what the inspiration was to, to, to put this together. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, I think this book is long overdue, uh, whether I wrote it or somebody else wrote it. But isn't it true almost every time we hear a story about kids today, it's on the news or in the news, and it's mental health issues or crimes that have been committed, and we've yeah. all got this kids today, kids today attitude, you know? So I have just been collecting great stories of everyday kids that saw a need, went out and met it, uh, whether it was an invention they created or just a, you know sewing a quilt for a person that needed it. And this is a book that's just uh, meant for reading together or talking over at dinner time, bedtime, even classroom time, that just reignites the idea that there's God-given potential, and we're not all lost on a video game. Some, some kids are actually doing some cool things. Yeah. So who are some of the young people that you highlight in this book? Well, the very first story in the book is one of my favorites. It's the story of Virgil. It happened just a few years ago. Virgil was in the eighth grade when I first heard of him. Uh, he was living just outside of Houston. And uh, when he and his friend Kashan were playing video games at 2 a.m., by the way, mm -hmm. playing video games, which is what eighth graders do, they, both boys heard a loud clap outside the window of their apartment complex. So both boys scampered to the window. Uh, Kishan was in a different apartment, but in the same complex. They were noticing that a storm was brewing and coming in, but they both assumed it wasn't such a big deal. But they were wrong. It was Hurricane Harvey. Do you mm. remember Hurricane Harvey? Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, before he knew it, young Virgil was up to his knees in water. It oh, was my. gushing into the apartment. But I love how he reacted. He didn't wait for an adult to do something didn't wait for permission from an adult to do something. He grabbed his phone first. Of course he did. Then he grabbed his mother and his older sister, and he ran them upstairs to a second floor to get away from the rising waters. Mm -hmm. And that in itself would have been an act of heroism, but sure. his phone rang when he got up to the second floor, and uh, it was Kashan, you know, who was saying, Burge, we're drowning over here. We need help. Mm -hmm. So once again, Virgil springs into action. Again, not waiting for a grown-up to do anything, he runs right back downstairs to his own apartment, grabs the air mattress that he slept on at night, and uses it as a raft, and he paddles over to his friend. He ends up saving Kashan and his family. Wow. But as he's going back and forth, you can imagine, he hears the cries for help from other people in the apartment complex. So he spends the next several hours, middle of the night, helping people. Oh, According to the police report, the next morning, Virgil Smith saved 17 lives that night. That's as awesome. As an eighth grade kid. Yeah. Wow. So I'll stop there, but it's just amazing how oh. he just sprung into action. I think sometimes because kids have a phone, they feel like, I don't need to wait for somebody else to do this. I can yes. figure it out. Sure. And Virgil did. 
So mm-hmm. I think the world is full of kids like this. We just don't hear about it. And I think it may cast vision to our own kids once in a while if we just told these stories. Yeah. You know, I think I think this is a very key aspect because we do hear of all of the things that kind of make you scratch your head and go, why? Why are you doing yeah. this? You know, with TikTok yeah. and other social media, yeah. these these trends that catch, we, we, we could sometimes look at the, the youth and go, ah, I'm not feeling good about our future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right it's now. true. But it's do, you, so true. do you think that there's much of a difference between – you know, my generation that was like, like Deb was saying, making mud pies in the backyard. And when I was <laughs> yeah, in eighth yeah, grade yeah. and this generation is, is there a distinct difference or is it just, we're exposed to more interesting news now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the kids part, um, Seth, I think they have an oxymoronic combination of high sense of agency and high sense of anxiety. And probably both mm. were deepened by the smartphone. So my sense of agency, Virgil had that, right? I don't need any help. But then the high sense of anxiety. We do hear about legitimate mental health concerns with kids, mm. panic attacks and anxiety. But here's what I think might be different with the grown-ups, the adults. That's you and me. When we polled a little over 2,000 adults across America just a few years back, we asked them what their thoughts and emotions were about kids today. Yeah. And um, this wasn't a shock. Uh, two out of every three adults experiences a negative emotion rather than a positive one when they think of kids. I'm concerned. I'm afraid for them. You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Well, think about what it feels like to be led by a grown-up. But you look at their face and you just know, I'm really scared for you, buddy. You right. And then secondly, almost two out of three reported they don't feel like kids are going to be ready for adulthood when it's time. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if they're not ready, look in the mirror, buddy. You know, that's us. We're raising them. Right. So we, I wanted to replace the narrative, not just in kids, but in the adults, the parents, the teachers, the coaches, as to what we're thinking about, what could actually happen if we really believed in them and then turned them loose to try something. So, Tim, what does that look like? How can we be not enablers, but people that just really inspire kids to go for it with their ideas. Well, I do have a couple of thoughts on that. I'm glad you asked. By and large, not everybody, there are exceptions, but by and large, I think we parents and grownups risk too little, rescue too quickly, and rave too easily. And all of them are well-intentioned, but we risk too little. We're so afraid for our children, you know, the safety thing that we don't let them have experiences like I had. I rode my bike way out of the neighborhood, and and I'm not saying be reckless, but we need to let them take appropriate risks as they turn 12 and then 13 and then 15. Uh, And then the rescuing. Oh, my gosh, don't we know of mamas or daddies who rushed the backpack down to the school when it was forgotten, and the kids never learned to really negotiate. I forgot my backpack. What do I need to do to get this right? And then the raving, I, I, I know we want to em- encourage kids, but sometimes I think we use hyperbole. We tell them they're awesome for putting the fork in the dishwasher rather than giving them appropriate affirmation, <laughs> uh, you know, that sort of thing. So anyway, I think we've got to really be thinking not just protect, but prepare. That's what we adults need to be doing right now. So the the stories that are in this book again, it's I can't yeah. wait. There's 52 amazing stories in this in this book. Is there anything that you see with the stories that is like a 
a common thread, a common denominator, things that they all have in common? Wow, great question. Um, first of all, I did pick kids of different ages, age 5 to, to 20, 21, uh, different color shapes and sizes from all around the world. So they really are going to get a very eclectic view of girls and boys around the world that did something amazing. I think the common thread was the child was able to see an opportunity when maybe an adult would have seen an obstacle. Mm. So let me give one more quick story. Um, a kid named Louis was growing up in France in the 1800s, and he, walk, he was playing in his dad's tool shed, and he grabbed an awl, you know, those pointy tools that we used to use all the time to poke holes in leather. Oh, yeah. He grabbed an awl, and at three years old, young Louis poked his eye out. It's oh. exactly what we were parents' worst nightmare. Well, because back in the 1800s, they didn't have the medications we do today, within weeks, his other eye got infected, and he went blind. Lung, young Louis went blind. Well, his parents were good enough to say, we need to get him to a school for the blind. So they took him to a school for the blind, but their um, system for reading was just pitiful. It was actually a system for reading in the dark, not for completely blind people. Mm -hmm. So young Louis, get this, at 12 years old, started working on a better system for reading for the blind. By 15, he had come up with a system. His name is Louis Braille, and we still use the Braille system today all around the world, blind people. Here's the cool part of the story. He actually used an awl to come up with this new system. And so the very problem that gave him the problem became the possibility. The stumbling block became a stepping stone. I think this is what God does. The very thing we think is ruining our life might be the key. To, to the answer. So, and I think kids can see it faster than grown-ups can sometimes. So I think we need to be those believing adults that say, give it a try, Josh and Jessica. Maybe you can do it. Wow, that's great. We're talking with Dr. Tim Elmore, and you're the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders. So how do we grow leaders? How do we grow kids that really think outside the box and want to try these things? Yeah, I think inside the heart of every kid, not everyone, but almost every kid, they want to do something that's very important and almost impossible. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, they want high stakes. They go to a movie and they see a movie and it's gripping because there were high stakes. Spider-Man had to kill the Green Goblin or whatever. <laughs> so I think we need to take more risks, and it, whether we're with them or not, we need to let them try things that are very important and almost impossible. Um, I think that means giving them experiences, um, I think kids suffer from artificial maturity, and it's not their fault. They're overexposed to information earlier than they're ready, but underexposed to firsthand experiences later than they're ready. Yeah. Oh, so we need to let them good. take yeah. a job when they're 14 or 15, mm. you know, paper boy or whatever, and give them those experiences where they actually try it out and realize it's not as scary as mama might think it is, and maybe I can do more than I think than I thought I could. Mm. So I, that would be what I would answer real quick to that to that question. Yeah. How do you deal with failure when oh. it doesn't work? Oh gosh, it, kids not only struggle with FOMO today, fear of missing out. They, I am hearing high schoolers talk about FOMU, F-O-M-U, fear of messing up. There's a disproportionate amount of fear of, of making mistakes or failing, probably because they know it's going to be captured on video and post it on YouTube <laughs> sometime later. So I think we're going to have to teach them that failure is the path 
to success. I know that sounds so cliche, but we need to treat failure not as an enemy, like avoid it at all costs. But you know what? That's the best way you're going to learn to get to succeeding at something. And I was just fortunate enough to, that I had a mom and dad that taught me that. I failed at a bunch of stuff. And by the way, then I worked for John Maxwell for 20 years right out of college who taught me, you know, failing forward. You know, let's let's yeah. move this book. So we need to look at failure as a, as a friend, not a foe. I think that's just going to have to be something we drill in and verbalize over and over and over again. That's, it's just brutally hard, though. I, I've, <laughs> yeah, I have is. had that, that whole fear of failure thing my entire life. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, okay, so this book is chock full of amazing stuff. How do we yeah. get a hold of it? And, and there's got to be more that we can sink our teeth into. Sure. Thanks for asking. Well, first of all, what comes, just anybody that's listening that might be considering this for a Christmas gift or whatever, each story is very short. It's like one page. So you can get through it at dinner time or bedtime. Then there's three discussion questions. So it sets you up for a conversation. And then there's a link that you can go to a website that's got a little video about Virgil or Louie or Lucy or Anne. Excellent. uh, And actually watch that. So the best site to reach it, you can certainly go to Amazon. But the best site to reach this, um, these videos and the book itself is simply um, ICan'tWaitBook.com. ICan'tWaitBook.com, and that's where you can find it uh, discounted. And, yeah, I, I so appreciate getting to talk to you guys. I'm hoping this is a great New Year's resolution to go through these stories with your family and see what might happen. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. So inspirational. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for spending some time with us. Thanks for putting this, uh, this book together and for taking the time to do the research on these amazing stories. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Great to be with you guys. Hope you have a great Christmas.